April is the cruelest month, and the Order of the Phoenix isn't much kinder. You're listening to The Quibbler Podcast, the Harry Potter book club for modernists. This is precisely why I loathe being a teacher. Young people are so infernally convinced that they are absolutely right about everything. No, no, like all young people, you are quite sure that you alone feel and think. You alone recognize danger. You alone are the only one clever enough to realize what the Dark Lord may be planning. I'm Heather Price, right? And I'm Alex Dallenberg. That's a little uh, Wasteland reference for you. I think people probably got it, but thank you. Little T.S. Eliot. Little... Wasn't that guy kind of a Nazi? Who am I thinking Ezra of? Pound, Ezra Pound. His, who the Wasteland is dedicated to. Okay, so what's, Nazis all the way down. What's T.S. Eliot's favorite dessert? What? Pound cake. Good God, Lemon. <laughs> um, <laughs> thank you for that. We are not reading The Wasteland this week. We are reading Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix. We should maybe do Practical Cats, though. Oh, man. We would be so good at Practical Cats. I know. Oh, well, never was there ever. Cats so clever as Crookshanks. Yep, Crookshanks. (laughs) Not magical, Mr. Mistopheles. Um, This week we are reading the chapters called Christmas on the Closed Ward and Occlumency. You will hear, as usual, spoilers and cursing and some adult themes. This week's adult themes are alternative medicine, overhyping the holidays, Teen spirit, tutoring, and keeping an open mind. Alex, what happened this week? In this week's chapters, Harry is feeling very freaked out because he's just learned that he's some kind of vessel for Lovo. He's feeling tainted, is the description. So he's kind of keeping to himself. He's feeling like a curse on the household and... Basically, we're getting peak, quote, emo, unquote, Harry Potter. A cursed child, A cursed child, if you will. (laughs) Yeah, Harry's going to get paid back tenfold for all of his moodiness in this book. Yeah, Harry is thinking that Lovo is possessing him. So in order to not pose any danger to everyone else in Grimald Place, he resolves to run away So he and live with the Dursleys, I guess. So that's how bad Harry feels, is he's thinking of going back to Privet Drive. Uh, Harry's reasoning here doesn't make much sense to me, but whatever. I guess it's Magic World, so literally anything could be happening to Harry at this point. Uh, that's a weird thing to have to contend with (laughs) at 15 or any age. The thing that's weird about being 15 is literally anything could be happening to you. You don't fucking know. (laughs) Everything's a mess. (laughs) But Harry's reasoning through this and he's like, okay, maybe Voldemort took over my body, teleported me to London, and turned me into a snake. It's all in like 15 seconds. But it's like... Harry doesn't know. Harry doesn't it's know like pl- it's p- maybe plausible. Totally. Uh, anyway, so Harry resolves to run away so that he doesn't get turned into a snake again. I guess uh, he's packing his trunk, but then but 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 motherfucking Phineas Nigellus shows up in his portrait. Also, Harry's in the bedroom at Grimold Place. Phineas says, "I've got a message from Dumbledore." He says, "Stay put." Harry's like, "What should I?" Uh, and Phineas tells him, I don't know, because Dumbledore said so. Phineas then tells him off, says, you young people think you're the only ones that have internal lives and have good ideas, and tells him to quit being so emo. So Harry stays. Is this when they bring the sandwiches? Yeah, they bring... There's like sandwiches. I like that you remember the sandwiches. (laughs) Hermione shows up. She's bailed on Christmas skiing with her parents she arranges basically an intervention with her, Ron, and Ginny to tell Harry to quit being like such a wet blanket, a wet invisibility cloak, uh, (laughs) if you will. So they're like, stop avoiding us. We know that you're not dangerous. Ginny says, uh, hi, remember I was actually possessed by Lord Voldemort and you're not displaying 
any of those particular symptoms, as it were. Uh, to which Harry's like, oh yeah, that did happen. <laughs> and also Hermione reminds them for the umpteenth time that you can't apparate onto the grounds of Hogwarts or disapparate. So Voldemort couldn't be teleporting Harry and turning him to a snake and all this other rigmarole. Also, Ron saw Harry while he was sleeping. So they all assure Harry that he didn't literally attack Arthur, which is what Harry was afraid of. So anyway, Harry feels a lot better. He eats a sandwich and allows himself to join in the Christmas merrymaking. Sirius is really stoked to have everybody around Grimald Place for the holidays. He goes all out decorating the place, uh, bows to the wall. Oh God, I just got that. <laughs> uh, he even decorates the like stuffed elf heads with, like, Father Christmas hats. Ugh, which is, like, so macabre. We get to see where Creature lives. He's built himself a little nest in the boiler room because Hermione goes in with a uh, a present for him. I forget, what what does Hermione give him again? A quilt. A quilt. Really nice. And they see that Creature has salvaged a bunch of portraits of the various black family members, including his favorite one, a picture of Bellatrix. Lestrange. Lestrange? Lestrange. Lestrange. After Christmas morning, everybody goes to visit Arthur in the hospital. He's not quite better yet. The trio head out to get a cup of tea at some point and get lost in St. Mungo's and end up in the closed ward where they run into Gilderoy Lockhart, who is a permanent resident at St. Mungo's. Gilderoy still doesn't know who he is, but he still likes to sign autographs, so they hang out with Gilderoy for a while. I guess they really have no hard feelings against him, it seems like. Like, all things considered, Ron and Harry are pretty chill with Gilderoy, but <laughs> also he has no idea who he is, so I guess they it makes sense that they kind of feel sorry for him. They also run into Neville Longbottom, who is there with his grandmother visiting his parents. Recall that they were tortured into uh, basically losing their minds by the Lestranges. So uh, there is a very sad scene with Alice Longbottom giving Neville a wrapper from a piece of Drupal's best blowing gum and Neville puts it in his pocket and keeps it, even though his grandmother's like, you can throw that away. So, so many tears shed at St. Mungo's. Everybody goes back to Grimald Place. Harry is packing up for school when he hears that Professor Snape is there and wants to talk to him. What the fuck could that be about? It turns out that Professor Dumbledore wants Snape to teach Harry occlumency, which is the art of protecting your mind from being penetrated by other wizards. So this is exactly what Harry wanted in this garbage fire of a school year is extra classes with Snape. But that's what he's got to do every Monday, 6 p.m. Harry, for the first time basically in his life, is dreading heading back to Hogwarts. Also, Snape and Sirius have some words where Sirius tells Snape that he better not fuck with Harry and Snape just needles him about not having anything to do productive for the Order, so. But Sirius is super mature about it, lets it roll like right off his back, isn't baited at all, and is just like, you know what, man, fine. <laughs> no, that doesn't happen at all. Not. Sirius freaks out and like basically almost duels with I, what do they think they're going to do to each other? They're both, like, pointing their wands at each other's necks. I mean, anytime a wizard does that, that's, like, pretty freaky. Like, yeah. those are guns. Yeah, but worse. Anyway, oh, uh, but this tent scene is broken up by Arthur Weasley returning to Grimald Place. His wounds are healed. He's all healthy. So Sirius and Snape don't kill each other, which is good. And uh, everyone heads back to school. On the night bus, we see Stan Shunpike and Ernie. Uh, that's a nice, delightful scene. I completely forgot that they take the night bus back to Hogwarts. Me too. So it turns out there is another way to get to Hogwarts that isn't a train 
or a flying car. There's no seatbelts in the Wizarding World. Every time Ernie hits the brake, just all the chairs fly everywhere. This, seem, <laughs> this seems like a terrible way to get around, but I guess wizards can literally fucking regrow bones, so it doesn't fucking matter. Um, their willingness to tolerate, like, just extreme injuries on the regular is amazing to me. Anyway, everybody gets back to school on the first day back. Harry runs into Cho, and she says, Hey, did you see that the first Hogsmeade weekend is on uh, Valentine's Day, hint, hint. Harry ends up kind of accidentally asking Cho on a date, but then he's happy that he did. Harry starts occlumency lessons with Snape. They're just as fucking unpleasant as you can imagine because Harry is basically forced to relive most of his worst memories uh, to try to keep Snape from penetrating yeah, them. Yeah, relive them in front of his worst person. <laughs> <laughs> Harry is forced to relive his worst memories a lot. This is like a recurring theme. But anyway... And make worse ones. Yeah, in the process. So this is like very emotionally and physically exhausting for Harry because he ends up like falling over every time that Snape tries to penetrate his mind and he like tries to fight him off and uh, Snape provides him with a lot of unconstructive criticism yeah uh, negative feedback uh, I would say but during occlumency lessons Harry in one of these like flashbacks that Snape is trying to penetrate Harry realizes that the door he keeps seeing in his dreams that Voldemort is trying to get to is the door that leads to the ba 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 motherfucking Department of Mysteries. So that is where the weapon that Voldemort is seeking is located. Harry asks Snape, what's in the Department of Mysteries? Snape is like, STFU. And naturally, Harry goes straight to Ron and Hermione after lessons and, like, tells them everything. And they start to do their, like, mystery ink thing and, like, work it out. But Harry also is feeling very weakened after occlumency lessons and feeling sort of sick. So he heads back up to bed while Ron and Hermione are, I think they're studying. Ron's probably not studying. Hermione's certainly studying. Harry's feeling very queasy and weak and he has another vision of Voldemort laughing his fucking head off. Uh, and then when Harry comes to, Harry's laughing as well. Ron like kind of like shakes him awake and he realizes that Voldemort is feeling the happiest he's felt in 14 years. It's alarming how charming Voldemort feels. Oh my God. And that's what happens in this week's chapters. So... I turned to you this morning, right after I finished reading these chapters, and I said, Order of the Phoenix feels a lot like living in 2018. <laughs> it's the just fucking hits just keep on coming. Every chapter is what fresh hell awaits Harry this week. It's interesting as a piece of like middle grade fiction because it's actually really unpleasant. It's well written and it's exciting and you want to know what happens, but the experience of reading it is like stomach twisting. I think that's why this book is really polarizing. Yeah, it's not that fun to read. You just feel sort of sick and upset and worried for like 95% of this particular book. So basically it's like being 15. It's not really as much like being 15, because when you're 15, there's like those flashes of like absolute crushing joy. That's true. It's more like extreme ups and downs. Yeah, this book is just bleak and hard to get through in certain ways. Do you think it's bleaker than Deathly Hallows? A lot of dark shit happens in that book. It's called the Deathly Hallows. More Death's people, in the name. More people die in Deathly Hallows, but Harry and Ron and Hermione have more agency in that one. Mm. This one is just like shit acting upon Harry. Yeah, he feels very stuck a lot yeah. of the book, doesn't he? Or so powerless. There's this really vivid scene when they're on the underground, weirdly. They're taking muggle transportation. They're on the underground back from... St. Mungo's after Harry has overheard this conversation about being possessed and her descriptions of how he feels are incredibly vivid. He feels like poison is coursing through his veins. He feels like he doesn't deserve to be on the train with like clean, good, well-meaning people while he is like tainted and like bad and wrong. 
He felt dirty, contaminated, as though he were carrying some deadly germ, unworthy to sit on the underground train back from the hospital with innocent, clean people whose minds and bodies were free of the taint of Voldemort. He had not merely seen the snake, he had been the snake. He knew it now. And then a truly terrible thought occurred to him, a memory bobbing to the surface of his mind, one that made his insides writhe and squirm like serpents. What's he after, apart from followers? Stuff he can only get by stealth, like a weapon, something he didn't have last time. I'm the weapon, Harry thought and it was as though poison were pumping through his veins, chilling him, bringing him out in a sweat as he swayed with the train through the dark tunnel. I'm the one Voldemort's trying to use. That's why they've got guards around me everywhere I go. It's not for my protection. It's for other people's. Only it's not working. They can't have someone on me all the time at Hogwarts. I did attack Mr. Weasley last night. It was me. Voldemort made me do it, and he could be inside me, listening to my thoughts right now. Are you all right, Harry, dear? whispered Mrs. Weasley, leaning across Ginny to speak to him as the train rattled along through its dark tunnel. You don't look very well. Are you feeling sick? It hit me really hard because, and we talked about this before, about Joe's ability to kind of translate these feelings, but it's like really what depression feels like. That sense that, like, you have no right to, like, inflict yourself on other people. I don't know if this is something that you've ever experienced, but, like, this, like, really extreme feeling that, like, you don't deserve to be in, like, normal company. Like, you're too sick and horrible to be around anyone good. And that description was, like, it's kind of devastating to see Harry feeling that way. He really is. I hadn't really thought about it through that, lens you know I, I thought a lot about the dementors through the lens of depression because rollinger itself had, had written about that but uh i think you're right i think this is another interesting analog especially this feeling that he like he has something like terrible inside him yeah i just found it one of the most emotionally resonant passages in any of these books i was really kind of like emotionally white-knuckling it through this. It's like so vivid that it's like almost triggering. The irrationality with which he's responding to these fe feelings is just like really scary and you want to like, you want to pump the brakes for Harry and just be like, you got to get these emotions in check because you're going to make a really bad choice. Like running away from Grimald Place is a really, really stupid idea, but you understand why he thinks he needs to do that because his like, he has this drive to just get away from people so he can't hurt them and make their lives bad. Right. Which is very much what it feels like to be depressed. In, yeah. In my experience, anyway. Yeah. I think, I think I'm more of an anxiety guy. <laughs> so. Yeah, I hear that. But there definitely is, in those low moments, those like, man, I'm trash. But like, it's more than I'm right. trash. It's like, I don't deserve like human company yeah you're right that that is really stark yeah it's it's hard to read so harry just needs a therapist well he gets some real talk yeah he does from phineas actually phineas is kind of the perfect person to like be injected into this not person, scary AI, <laughs> but still. Whose portrait can be destroyed. Yep, does the what job. What does that mean? Oh, God. I don't even want to get into that. We can't get we into can't this get into that another again. week in a row. Well, just when when Dumbledore, when he tells Dumbledore, I, this occurred to me. We didn't even discuss this. He's like, I don't know. Sirius is probably going to destroy my portrait, Dumbledore. And Dumbledore says, Phineas, I've told him not to destroy your portrait. What happens to a portrait when it's destroyed? Does it die? I don't know. Jesus. It's like Hal being like, it's like Hal saying to Dave Bowman in 2001, will I dream Ooh. when he's being slowly <laughs> unplugged? Holy fuck. <laughs> we can't get into that. Anyway, yeah, Phineas kind of, I love Phineas. He's like, he's so wonderfully just unpleasant, but also... We don't have many, like, true third parties in this. 
Like, Phineas has no skin in this game. Right. His objectivity is actually incredibly refreshing. Yeah. Because no adults react appropriately to Harry. Right, yeah. He doesn't, like, he doesn't care about Harry one way or the other. He neither, like, hates Harry nor particularly likes him, you know? So when Snape is dressing down Harry, you don't really, like, trust it. But here's Phineas saying, dude, stay put. Also... Adults have internal lives as well and are, like, thinking things and you don't know what their reasoning is. Yeah, and it's the exact thing you need to be told as a teenager. Like, you are not the only person who has thoughts and feelings. Yeah. Because that is a really familiar teen feeling. Yeah. It's like, I'm the only one in, like, the real real. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's something, I mean, going back on, like, the kind of depression topic... When I was, like, really struggling with some of these things, like, in my, like, early and mid-twenties, that's something I, like, really had to be reminded, you know? It's, like, useful to know that you're not the only person with problems. Yeah, it's also just useful to be reminded that, like, you might not be behaving rationally. Right. And that it's possible that you are responding inappropriately and sort of in an outsized manner to a situation that is handleable in a more healthy way. So I'm loving Phineas here because he's kind of the perfect person to deliver this message. Yeah. Also, Harry, like, Harry gets beat up on a lot by, like, mean adults, but he doesn't get just sort of, like, properly chastised (laughs) by smart adults that often. Like, Minerva McGonagall is the only other person who really plays this role of just being like, would you get it the fuck together, please? (laughs) Like, I'm not saying you're horrible and your parents deserve to die. I'm just saying, like, sit the fuck down, chill for a second, use your brain, and, like, we'll get through this. Right. It's really good advice. Phineas gives incredibly solid advice. (laughs) The only thing I have to quibble with with Phineas is Phineas says, hey, when has Dumbledore ever steered you wrong? When has Dumbledore ever put you in the path of danger? And it's like, uh, so many times. Fact check? False. (laughs) Like, (laughs) yeah. Harry's answer should be, Literally always. Yeah, PolitiFact rates this like pants on fire or whatever they do over there. Exactly. Uh, Or Pinocchio. Yeah. Um, Dumbledore has always led me into danger. Dumbledore was the one that was like, well, you probably have to finish this fucking tournament, bro. (laughs) Here's a time machine. Please don't create a paradox that destroys the universe. Really hope you don't get your soul sucked out. (laughs) But... Anyway, we also get a little bit more insight into Slytherin. Yeah, he has a really good take on Slytherin because he is very much like, we're not bad people, we're just self-interested people. In a way, you could think of Slytherin, and I've actually seen this as sort of a meme, like on kind of like youth Instagram. Slytherins are into like self-care, basically. They're like, you know what? I'm going to put my own goddamn mask on first before I help the person next to me or instead of helping the person next to me but definitely before well that's what you're supposed to do no I know Slytherins have like kind of a healthy idea about how to you know take care of yourself first because you're no fucking use if you're Gryffindoring into the mouth of danger and not gonna make it out this is why I wish we had a frenemy Slytherin I mean Phineas is so far my favorite Slytherin yes because so, he does help Harry. He actually does. In this so, sort moment, of under duress, but But in this moment, like he's the voice that Harry needs in his ear. He effectively keeps him from running away and potentially I uh, whatever danger he would have run into yeah. if he'd run away. And he reminds Harry that other people exist. Which is <laughs> <laughs> helpful for a fifteen year old having an emotional breakdown. Yeah. He just delivers some like real talk. True. So anyway. Hermione shows up having just totally ditched her parents for yeah. the second Christmas running. Yeah. Uh, this is a weird aspect of these books to me. Is She does constantly seem to be stepping out on her parents. They must be like really understanding. It's or weird. Or they just don't get the whole wizard thing. Well, for all of the exploration of the relationships between parents and children in these books... The extent to which Hermione's muggle parents are just altogether absent and absent from her sort of like psychological profile is really weird. Considering how important the Weasley parents are, like Harry's 
bullshit parent stuff. Even Neville's grandmother gets, like, more screen time. Uh, Seamus's mother gets more screen yeah. time. We, like, learn a lot more about Seamus's relationship with his parent. But, like, Hermione is this sort of, like, sprung from the forehead of the goddess, totally independent creature whose parents seem not to have any part in her life at all. Well, we know... We know a few things about them from what she says. We know they're really proud of her. We know they want her to do well in school. Uh, We can infer that they trust her to make her own decisions to the extent that she can just rearrange holiday plans on the fly and, like, leave them at their chalet in, like, the French Alps or wherever. And we know they want her to brush her teeth. Yeah, because they're dentists. But, uh... But isn't it weird how absent they are? Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, I, I definitely I definitely found that strange. I just know that non-fucking-starter, if I've, like, made Christmas plans with the family, yeah, and then Christmas Eve, you just say, you know what, Mom and Dad? Never mind. I gotta go hang out with my friends. Yeah. Well, like, we're gonna go study. What? Yeah. But really, like, for the incredible thematic, like, centralness that the life of the family and the existence of and the importance of family has in these books. Like, they're very much about the formation of family. Right. And one of our main characters is essentially familyless in our conception of her. You know, Hermione's internal life gets shortchanged a lot in these books. It's... We kind of talked about this recently, about how... She's constantly helping Ron and Harry with their problems, but never once that I can remember did she ever say, like, hey, I need, like, help with, like, this thing. Like, does Hermione have siblings? No. Doesn't Do we seem know to. that for we sure? Don't know. We don't know. I don't think she does. But she would mention that. Maybe. We know nothing about her. We meet no one from her life except her parents very briefly in the first and last books. Only one person knows. Victor Crumb. Victor Crumb is the only person that knows <laughs> anything about Hermione's life. No wonder she has to write him these long-ass letters, because she's like, Dear Victor, let me tell you a little bit about mom and dad. My best friends have never fucking asked me their names. She's just a woman apart in a way that, I mean, God, you guys know this is coming. It's sexist as shit. <laughs> we only get, I mean... That's going to be a one-star review. (laughs) You just guaranteed us a one-star review. Get the fuck at me. (laughs) I mean, Hermione is, like, complex in her sort of, like, decision-making. Like, she's, I'm not saying she's not a complex character, but it is very weird to give her just no backstory. She just shows up at Hogwarts with a dentist father and mother, and it's just like, okay, here you are. Your life basically just begun. Yeah, you're right. There's so much about Ron's internal life. And so as much well about Ron's his. family. Yeah. I mean, we learn about Hagrid's parents. Like, family is just an incredibly central theme of these books. And Hermione doesn't really have one in any tangible sense. And I'm just realizing that that's a really weird oversight. This is two Christmases in a row, also. She's just fucking ditching them. Because she... She stayed at Hogwarts for the Yule Ball as well. She sort of comes back like a little bit tanner than usual and is like, we were on holiday. <laughs> but it's like, yeah, but what, like, what are they like? Like, what's your relationship with your mom? You're a teen girl. Like, there's some shit going on. It must be so weird to be Mr. and Mrs. Granger and know Doctor about- and Dr. Granger, okay, excuse doc- me. Doctors Granger and know about this whole wizard thing and just being like well i've got to do root canals this week uh it'd be nice if we could have some blood replenishing potion (laughs) (laughs) um sorry mom and dad i have a i know a spell that can remove all cavities but can't do that can't share that with you that uh, would be breaking the prime directive or whatever my quit like (laughs) like do hermione's parents come to her wedding to ron no, she's erased their minds. But doesn't she get they get they get their memories back? I don't remember. Someone you people are either gonna have to remind us or we'll get there when we get there. We're gonna have to like 
Okay, we're not there yet, but that's the saddest scene in the books. Yeah, I Hot think it is. Hot take. Jesus Christ, is that sad. The other thing, quickly, I want to say about Hermione is she gives the worst Christmas present <laughs> anyone has ever received. Um, she gets these fucking homework planners that just, like, nag you. Yeah, they say, don't leave it till later, you big second raider. Hilarious. Rowling does so well with these kind of little magical bits. Yeah, it is the, a good The kind of bit. cheeky magic items. This is also terrible planner design. Why? Because whatever system you use for productivity has to be something that you like to use. Yeah, that's So Hermione true. has accomplished the opposite by giving Harry a planner that he literally wants to throw in the fire. It's true. No, positive reinforcement is the only way to successfully create like a productivity plan. Yeah. For yourself. Also, we have a lot of planner people that listen to the podcast. Oh, yeah. So let us know. Wait, guys, absolutely send us e-owls about what you think about this planner. Because (laughs) I know that a fair number of you do these like epic, beautiful planners. So I'm very curious. Yeah, planner Instagram is off the hook. Also, in case anybody ever wondered this, Alex knows an inordinate amount about like productivity software for like really complicated reasons. But if you ever have questions about like getting things done or like OmniFocus, he's your guy. So Gilderoy makes an appearance again. It's weird that his healer like doesn't know the deal with him. Gilderoy seems to kind of have a certain charisma, though, even stripped of his memories. You know, he has that effect on people in these books. I mean, he's still, like, hot AF, (laughs) which I think is the main thing. And he knows it. What's really funny about this to me is it's kind of like a, it's like a who is our essential self question, because Gilderoy utterly stripped of all of his sort of, like, knowledge and experiences of the world is still fundamentally Gilderoy. Like, he's still really vain and preening. He's, like, super aware of how good-looking he is. He literally learns cursive in order to do better autographs, even though he doesn't know why he's autographing things. He just, like, really likes to sign shit. Yeah. uh, It makes me kind of think that his memories are there somewhere, that the Obliviate curse doesn't actually totally erase your memories. It just, like, keeps you from being able to, like, access them. Well, it also feels like kind of a statement about, like, the separateness of your memories and experiences from, like, your personality. Like, Obliviate doesn't get rid of his whole deal. Right. His Gilderoyness, which I don't know if that's upsetting or comforting. I I don't know either. Uh, He definitely seems to have retained some of himself. Yeah. And doesn't actually seem that unhappy. No, he doesn't seem that unhappy, which like part of you is like, okay, well, that's kind of a relief. And then part of you is like, no, this guy deserves like pretty severe punishment for his crimes. Yeah. uh, If he ever regained his memories, would they put him on trial? I mean, they don't put the right people on trial in general. Well, I know. And clearly there's no like civil lawsuits because presumably Gilderoy would have been sued by everyone he he like basically plagiarized from and presumably his publisher would also this doesn't seem to have made it into the press no like gildery seems to have just managed to quietly disappear into oblivion literally and he was incredibly famous like is nobody asking questions about where the fuck gildery lockhart went this would be like a sensation yeah he was one of the biggest celebrities In the wizarding world two years ago. Yeah, and people aren't asking questions about, like, what happened to him. Memories are short, man. Yeah, Yeah. this would be a big fucking deal. It would be. There'd be some real splashy, like, magazine piece about it. I know. But wizarding journalism is so, like, devoid of effective and interesting reporting (laughs) that no one was like, where the fuck is Gilderoy Lockhart? Who would be our equivalent to Gilderoy Lockhart? I know we kind of compared him to James Fry. And that was a big deal. It was a huge deal. People still remember that. He had to go on Oprah. It was a massive scandal. Apologize. So the other people, on a downer note, we see 
in the closed ward are um, we see Neville visiting his parents, Alice and Frank Longbottom, who were tortured into losing their minds by Bellatrix Lestrange, actually, who is Creature's, like, photo girlfriend. Neville's mother had come edging down the ward in her nightdress. She no longer had the plump, happy-looking face Harry had seen in Moody's old photograph of the original Order of the Phoenix. Her face was thin and worn now. Her eyes seemed overlarge, and her hair, which had turned white, was wispy and dead-looking. She did not seem to want to speak, or perhaps she was not able to, but she made timid motions toward Neville, holding something in her outstretched hand. Again? said Mrs. Longbottom, sounding slightly weary. Very well, Alice, dear, very well. Neville, take it, whatever it is. But Neville had already stretched out his hand, into which his mother dropped an empty Drubal's blowing gum wrapper. Very nice, dear, said Neville's grandmother in a falsely cheery voice, patting his mother on the shoulder. But Neville said quietly, Thanks, Mum. His mother tottered away, back up the ward, humming to herself. Neville looked around at the others, his expression defiant, as though daring them to laugh. But Harry did not think he'd ever found anything less funny in his life. Well, we'd better get back, sighed Mrs. Longbottom, drawing on long green gloves. Very nice to have met you all. Neville, put that wrapper in the bin. She must have given you enough of them to paper your bedroom by now. But as they left, Harry was sure he saw Neville slip the wrapper into his pocket. This is just a really sad scene and, you know, it's interesting to watch Hermione and Ron learn something so fundamental about their friend Neville. And Harry is actually like, he shows a lot of empathy in this scene. He tries really hard to deflect what's about to happen. He ends up not being able to, but it is nice to see his thought process of like trying to spare Neville this encounter. Why do we think that Neville doesn't tell people about his parents? I think it's just, too complicated and too personal a story and to be fair his classmates haven't shown him a great deal of empathy so far at Hogwarts with the possible exception of Hermione and Ginny but like I wouldn't tell Ron Weasley something like this frankly Ron doesn't handle it super well in the moment I think it's probably just how do you broach it And I don't think he's ashamed. I just think it's a really complicated thing to try to talk about. And he's probably very sad about it. He insists to his grandmother that he's not ashamed because she's mad at him at first. Right. Because she thinks he is. Maybe he wants to live up to their memory by being his own, like, person, basically. He also might want to protect them. I can see him thinking that he wants their memory preserved as the great aurors that they were and not to have people know kind of what they've become um and he doesn't he doesn't want people to feel sorry for them because that's not like what they deserve like right well what they've become isn't bad they're just horribly injured right i know but you know there's stigma Mm -hmm. around this particular kind of injury like we know that what do we think totally different than being long term in the hospital because you lost a limb or something like people have thoughts about a like extreme chronic like mental incapacitation that they don't about extreme physical incapacitation like it's their fault in some way the Gilderoy part kind of relates to this what you were saying about how like how much do your memories or kind of the presence of like what we would consider like a really cogent mind what is how much does that have to do with like your essential self because there is this it's sad, but Alice does give Neville, like, a Christmas gift as she understands it, which Neville then respects by keeping it. I'm like, gonna cry just thinking about this scene. Like, Neville kind of gives her the dignity of having that mean something. Yeah. You know? Yeah, I think we learn a lot about Neville in this scene and his capacity for grace and kindness and like a lifelong love because you can see and this is understandable I mean having somebody in your life who's chronically sort of inaccessibly ill is really really hard but Neville's grandmother is kind of perfunctory in her visiting of them like she doesn't I I mean I think she loves them still yeah but she doesn't 
treat them as people who can continue to be reached and interacted with and and loved as the people that they were. And she's very attached to the memory of them as these incredible aurors. And she talks a lot about how proud of who they were right. that she is. And Neville, his only real relationship with them is is as they currently are. And he honors that and treats them as his parents and as like still human. And um, I know we had a Neville takedown a little while ago, but I, I think this is a particular moment in which I really honor Neville's humanity. He like so treats too. his mom with such gentleness in that scene. I can feel for Neville's grandmother though. Oh, yeah, uh, me being, too. I think she's probably pretty worn down oh, by years yeah. of, like, added responsibility, basically, and losing... Her children. Yeah. I, I'm not saying that I think Neville's grandmother is in the wrong. I'm just saying, like, years and years and years of having that kind of relationship with someone you love can can make you go through the motions, you know? Right. And his grandmother is a little bit more at that point than Neville in this scene like she's very like oh yes Alice dear thank you so much you know Mm -hmm. and she's like Neville you can throw that away Neville's just a little bit more like in the moment with it right yeah this is definitely one of the most emotionally raw scenes yeah it's uh, really wrenching when we're dealing with something that a lot of people can relate to yeah um in a non-magical context exactly and it's it's interesting because we learn later in this book that Harry and Neville have this particular connection and they sort of both lost their parents over that connection in different ways and you get the sense in this scene that in some ways it's harder for Neville right still having access to those people but they but not having access at the same time would be more draining in some ways. I mean, mm-hmm. it's complicated because he still gets to see them physically and, you know, experience their presence and stuff, which Harry never gets to do. But Neville sort of walks around with that reality in a different way than someone who's, whose parents are long dead. <sighs> I guess there's no better or worse. It's just they're experiencing something profoundly similar and profoundly different at the same time yeah yeah the parallels there are, are very interesting mm-hmm. i think she did that quite well i do too and i think i think it's oversimplistic to see neville as kind of like we talked about in the owl post episode of like the kind of like nerdy kid who like makes good because neville neville has a really complicated backstory and emotional life so he deserves some credit for that I feel like we've talked about him a lot this book, but once again, I just have some thoughts about Sirius. <laughs> we better talk about him while we still can. I mean, yeah, that's true. We should get our Siriusing out uh, because he gonna die. Sorry, that was very un- insensitive, but it's true. And there's a lot of foreshadowing of that in this scene. It's really poignant. It this is. last Christmas where he's feeling truly happy to have everyone around and he's singing carols and you just know he's doomed from all of this. Serious? Well, first of all, it's really hard to know that this is going to be Harry's last interaction with Sirius, essentially. Ugh. And Sirius doesn't do a good job of saying goodbye to Harry. And obviously Sirius doesn't know it's the last time they'll see each other. Um, and Harry doesn't know that either. But Sirius is so infuriating. He's the most infuriating character in the Harry Potter canon, I think. Because he cannot get out of his own way. Like this scene where he's in the kitchen with Snape and Snape is talking about Occlumency. And Snape like pretty lightly goads him. Uh, it's a little more than that. Le- like medium goads him. He medium goads him. But he goads him in a way that's incredibly predictable for Severus Snape. Right. You could script it yeah like there's no reason that Sirius shouldn't know exactly the kinds of things that Snape is going to say to him and prepare himself mentally and emotionally to deal with them like a grown-up yeah and he just immediately loses it I know yeah it's just like dude everyone knows Snape is like this and everyone including Dumbledore basically ignores it 
Well, and like serious, Snape and McGonagall get along. I, they make like, side bets on Quidditch. Yeah, it's possible to get along with Snape. It's possible to at least deal with Snape. And Sirius's whole thing of like, I know Dumbledore trusts you, but I don't. It's like, okay, get a grip, friend. <laughs> You're not smarter than Dumbledore. I know we rag on Dumbledore a lot, but like Dumbledore knows more than Sirius, just straight up. And Sirius's like just personal animus gets in his way over and over and over again in a way that you just want him to do some growth. And as a result, he gives Harry this really gruff, kind of like sad goodbye. And Harry doesn't even have a chance to sort of say any of the things he wants to say. Because Sirius is like, take care of yourself. If Snape fucks with you, like, come get me. And Harry's like, that's not like the worry here. Yeah. Like, Snape's gonna fuck with me. We all know this. Sirius is a uh, is a frustrating character. Also, yeah, is he just gonna like kill Severus Snape <laughs> in in his in the Grimald Place kitchen? I think they were just gonna curse each other with I uh, give each other mushrooms on their ears or whatever the fuck wizards do to each other. It is weird in dueling because so many charms or so many hexes are just so like self evidently silly. <laughs> and it's this like deadly moment and then they're like tickle. Yeah, I could either kill you or make your knees wobble. <laughs> you don't know. Yeah. So speaking of Snape, Occlumency. What Open do you think? your mind. No, close your mind. Oh, close your mind. For starters, Snape in this chapter kind of tells us more about magic than we've ever heard before. I mean, not more, but, you know, he talks about how it has to do with, like, space matters, time matters, uh, your state of mind. Uh, we actually get some mechanics for once. Yeah. Snape is infuriating. He is very smart. Mm-hmm. Snape is one of the most intelligent and intellectual characters, I would say. He can read minds? said Harry quickly, his worst fears confirmed. You have no subtlety, Potter, said Snape, his dark eyes glittering. You do not understand fine distinctions. It is one of the shortcomings that makes you such a lamentable potion maker. Snape paused for a moment, apparently to savor the pleasure of insulting Harry, before continuing. Only muggles talk of mind-reading. The mind is not a book. To be opened at will and examined at leisure? Thoughts are not etched on the inside of skulls to be perused by any invader. The mind is a complex and many-layered thing, Potter. Or at least most minds are. He smirked. It is true, however, that those who have mastered legitimacy are able, under certain conditions, to delve into the minds of their victims and to interpret their findings correctly. The Dark Lord, for instance, almost always knows when somebody is lying to him. Only those skilled at occlumency are able to shut down those feelings and memories that contradict the lie, and so utter falsehoods in his presence without detection. Whatever Snape said, legitimacy sounded like mind-reading to Harry, and he did not like the sound of it at all. I love the description Rowling puts in here, where... Snape says, only muggles talk about reading minds. The mind can't be read like a book. You have to feel it out and intuit, and it's very complicated. I think that's cool because, you know, mind reading is such a trope in science fiction and fantasy, and it's often depicted like you just, yeah, open up somebody's head or like- and see what they're see what they're thinking, but it's even hard for the person thinking their own thoughts to know exactly what they're thinking. So if you just came at that as an outsider, it would be like really complicated. Yeah, it is. Well, you know, big secret. Uh, We just read Twilight. Yeah, it's portrayed there as kind of like just listening in on an inner monologue. Mm -hmm. But people's thoughts are really layered. They're really disparate. Your train of thought is really confusing. So yeah, I do appreciate this idea that understanding someone's mind is not sort of just like listening to one kind of constant stream of like thought put into language, interpretable. You have all the context you need. 
like reading someone's thoughts would be incredibly disorienting. Yeah, this is one of the better kind of mechanics parts of of the books because some of the magic is sort of vague and frustrating. Right. But uh, I, I think she, she does a great job here. And it's cool to like hear it from Snape because when she puts it in Snape's voice, it always sounds pretty hardcore. It's true. <laughs> the other thing I like about this, and this is something we've talked about, some of our favorite magic is it's, as Snape would say, like less foolish wand waving. Like Legilimens, you understand it takes actual magical power to do. But Occlumency seems kind of just like habits of mind. Mm-hmm. Like there doesn't seem to be a ton of you need to be able to do magic in this, which it's right up Harry's alley. This is the kind of shit Harry excels at. Like mind over matter, you know, like he can resist the imperious curse. Um, so this is like right in Harry's wheelhouse, which is great because it actually gives us an opportunity to see Snape, see Harry be sort of grudgingly good at something, mm-hmm. which I like. So Snape and Harry's interaction here is really interesting and the most nuanced that we've ever seen I think because they actually do manage to communicate and sort of like learn things and hear things from each other you would think this whole experience would give Snape more empathy for Harry I mean there's part of me that thinks it kind of does because at one point he asks whose dog was it yeah and he doesn't seem to ask it in a cruel way he seems to just be like I saw this. Like, what was that? And he briefly is just sort of talking to Harry like a person. Yeah, because Snape has a lot of the same memories. Yeah, and he has a lot of context for Harry's family, mm-hmm. actually. More context than anyone else in these books does. Right, does. and then we'll get to Snape's memories later. Right. But one thing this chapter made me think, because Snape focuses a lot on, like, to practice occlumency successfully, you have to have total mastery of your own emotions and just be able to empty your head and shut people out. It made me think maybe he has to keep up such a fever pitch of rage toward Harry to have plausible deniability with Voldemort, who's constantly trying to penetrate the minds of his underlings. That's, I mean, that's an interesting theory. I, yeah, you you know, like, Snape knows he can't have zero thoughts about Harry. So the Dark Lord knows when you're lying. That's right. like a particular mm-hmm. skill of the Dark Lords. So he can't have fake thoughts and feelings about Harry. He really has to cultivate. I think, I think he does have to. But he doesn't do that with Dumbledore. Yeah. I guess more what I was thinking is... Anything having to do with the Potters is where he struggles to control his emotions, like with Lily. So I think if he's going to have an emotion here, he needs to be all out hating Harry Potter, kind of. Because he can probably protect his mind when it comes to most other thoughts, impressions, experiences. But you're right. His defenses really break down around Lily. Right. I mean, his, basically the rest of his life plays out because of his feelings for Lily. Yeah. It's just a thought. Or, you know, he would allow Voldemort to penetrate this part of his mind. Right. And because see there's that this he, weakness. And see that he hates Harry Potter. So that he could prove his mm-hmm. loyalty. Just a possibility. Because, I mean, okay, so Snape, if nothing else... Snape is the master of the long game. Oh, yeah. Snape's double life is airtight. So I, you can't put anything like that past him. I don't know. But this was the most charitable thing I'd like thought about Snape for a while. If this is just him like keeping his cover, even after Voldemort vanishes, like just in case. I do think you're right that Lily is kind of the like the weakness in his armor. Yeah. And that he does have to sort of do a lot of damage control around his thoughts and feelings about Lily so that Voldemort can't access them. I think that's really, I actually think that's a really smart theory. And I do think he has, I think his feelings for Harry are more complicated than just hatred. And in this scene, he doesn't behave res- 
respectfully. He doesn't behave even really acceptably toward a young person. Yeah. But it's just, there's a different tenor to it. They're sort of talking to each other a little bit more like equals. Harry's getting a little less nettled. Like he's kind of getting over it in order to continue to learn information from Snape in a way that like we haven't seen Harry be quite this emotionally mature. He's much more emotionally mature in this scene than Sirius was. Right. Like he's just like, okay, getting past all the bullshit. Like will you please tell me what's going on? Yeah. And Snape is very cold and very imperious and a dick about it. But he does tell Harry what's going on more than basically any grown up has yet. I I just wonder how much... How much of Snape's behavior in general is explained by his the fact that he spends like twenty years as a double agent? Maybe not twenty, like eighteen years as as a double agent. Like he kind of has to. And we say all the time how his behavior is inexcusable, but his behavior to Harry, in a lot of ways, isn't worse than his behavior than Dumbledore's behavior to Harry. How Dumbledore treats Harry. It's more directly abusive. That's true. But Dumbledore is trying to get him killed. I know. Yeah. I don't think Dumbledore's behavior is acceptable either. You know that. Yeah. But you're right. I think we have to. The context that it's interesting to put Snape in. And you're right. And I don't do this very well with Snape all the time. Is remember his whole life is split. Like maybe he would have made different choices about. Harry and even Ron and Hermione and other people if he didn't have to maintain this persona for the greater good. Like, he's kind of sacrificing his own life and ability to kind of reconcile himself to other people. Right, and he's not allowed to make connections. Yeah. Like, he can't feel affinity or connection to anyone in the Order of the Phoenix because Voldemort would know. So he does have to to protect himself and to protect, like, the world they live in. He has to force himself not to have positive feelings toward the people he spends a ton of time with. So the only way to do that would be to convince yourself that you hate them. Only a Slytherin could do it. Only a Slytherin could do it. But he, yeah, his his soul is, like, twinned in this really complicated way. And it would, it would, you're right, it would really thwart you emotionally to to live that way well that's what makes him a compelling character yeah i'm Uh, especially on the reread absolutely i'm coming around to thinking about snape as as more interesting than just like a jerk so thank you for that that's a very interesting yeah just a thought i mean it could be all bullshit but all of this is bullshit (laughs) alex what do you think we're doing here? that's true (laughs) like what is this whole experiment about (laughs) we're going to end up spending a hundred hours uh on audio Discussing the Harry Potter. We've already books. spent a hundred hours, probably. Yeah, I guess you're right. All right. <laughs> anyway, Heather, who is your unsung hero? My unsung hero is Augustus Pye, who is the junior healer in training at St. Mungo's, who experiments with Muggle medicine on Arthur Weasley. Oh, I love this. He's like, hey, low key. I know you're into Muggles. There's this muggle treatment called stitches where they sew up your skin. You want to try? I think it's a fine idea. Yeah, I mean, the, nothing well, else so was Mr. working. Weasley. I know. Mr. Weasley's like, fuck yeah, sew me up, bro. <laughs> and it doesn't work because whatever this venom is dissolves the stitches, but it doesn't make things worse. No. Um, And I really respect a physician who will think outside the box a little bit in for the sake of a patient and who isn't so close-minded about like what might be successful but molly just flips out oh yeah she's like they sewed you together (laughs) it's like actually it is pretty barbaric when you think about it indeed it's like what else are you gonna do i don't know now we glue people my unsung hero is healer smedic who invents the he figures out the antidote to a horcrux wound yeah, why isn't this guy in the Order of the Phoenix, y'all? I know. Immediately uh, recruit this man. He, he figures out how to cure snake bites from Voldemort's snake. Yeah. Like, what? In short order, too. I know. He's only in there a matter for like of weeks. weeks. They don't have to put also, uh, what the fuck, wizard medicine. They don't have to, like, send this for, like, FDA approval. They're just like, all right, this is a radically new treatment. 
we're gonna go through with it. They just fr- he just freelanced this. He yeah. didn't have to like clear it with anyone. Uh, <laughs> but it worked. So props. I just the Wizarding World is so regulated. Unless it's something that you're gonna like put in someone's body that might kill them. That might yeah that who, that might have turned him into a snake. They don't know. <laughs> you know. But God forbid your cauldron bottoms be shoddy. I know. What the fuck. Anyway, this week's episode is brought to you by Drupal's Best Blowing Gum. The perfect gift for the son you no longer remember. Oy, oy, oy. The audiobook clips that you heard are courtesy of Penguin Random House Audio. They are from Jim Dale's performance of Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix by J.K. Rowling. Please go rate, review, subscribe. You know the drill. Love it if you left us a review on Apple Podcasts or on Facebook. Please send us an e-owl, quibblerpodcast at gmail.com. We're on social media, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook at Quibbler Podcast. We have sort of half resurrected our very fun, pretty infrequent newsletter, tinyletter.com slash Quibbler Podcast. When you do get it, it is pretty fun and you won't get it too often. So don't worry. Next week, we are reading the next two chapters in Order of the Phoenix, which are The Beetle at Bay and Seen and Unforeseen. And I just want to tell you, I read those two chapter titles and I was like, well, fuck. I actually have no idea what happens next. I don't remember at all. So we're in really fun territory in the Quibbler where I don't know what's going to (laughs) happen. I know what's going to happen long term in this book, but like what's in these chapters? No fucking clue, you guys. So what do you think Voldemort was so happy about at the end of this chapter? Oh, it's the Azkaban breakouts. Oh, I was going to say Beyonce at Coachella. Oh, Jesus. Very, very timely. Look at you being like celebrity aware and <laughs> good for you. Baychella. Hashtag Baychella. Thanks, amigos. Now, if you will excuse me, I have better things to do than to listen to adolescent agonizing. Good day to you.